been talking about the blueprint, how to build, and so today I'm going to talk about the foundation. We've uh, worked for a few years to lay a foundation here at Return Church. So Return Church has a foundation, but each of you have your own foundation, and uh, we build upon that foundation. I like the words of that old hymn, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. You want a strong foundation. Uh, when you build a house or, or any building, you need to lay your foundation deep and strong and put rebar in it and concrete and, or, you know, you want it on something as strong as it can be because when the house goes up, it will only be as good as its foundation. I remember I had a friend one time had a bad crack in his wall. This came up a plaster wall. So he hired someone to come and fill the plaster in and paint over it and he thought it was fixed and a few weeks later, the crack came back again and I said you know you got it's not your walls the problem here you got a problem with your foundation and there's a lot of Christians got problems in their foundation underneath and they so they get cracks in their life and churches have problems with foundations and they get cracked our country is in trouble America's foundation is cracked uh, there's a verse in Psalms 11:3. if we could go there could you guys help me scroll there from the back? Thank you, Jesus. Help us with this PowerPoint today, dear Lord. It's not moving at all. There we go. Psalms 11.3 says, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids test the sons of men. So when the foundations are destroyed... What can we do? I'll tell you what we do. We turn to God. And in America, our foundations are being destroyed in America. The same found, the foundations that our godly forefathers made and laid when they wrote the Constitution. The Constitution is under an attack. Our freedom of speech is under attack. The right to bear arms is under attack. A lot, don't think Christians are going to get a free pass on this. We're going to be under attack before too long. It doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat, you can see where the foundations of America are being destroyed. Things like law and order, justice and truth, morality, integrity, faith, fairness, trustworthiness. These things are under attack in America. I don't even recognize this country. It just is like, can this be really happening in America? Are people really saying these things in America? What's happening? Our foundation is being attacked. We're, we're crumbling at the foundation. What do you do? Well, the Bible says the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is in heaven. Don't put your trust in the American government. Don't put your trust in the Republican Party. Don't put your trust in, in President Biden or ex-President Trump. Don't put your trust in that. Put your trust in Jesus. Put your trust in the Lord. Put your trust in his word. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to in the past two weeks that have been so stressed out and so full of anxiety. And I understand if you watch the news and take all that in, you'll get full of anxiety. But see, you're, you're looking to the wrong thing. You're putting your trust in the, maybe you're, maybe you're trusting in a $100 bill. Maybe you're trusting in our economic system. Maybe you're trusting in the American government. And our, our system of over 200 years of our government has worked beautifully. But I'm telling you, the foundations are being destroyed. 
And it's time for America to turn back to God, to repent and to call on the name of the Lord. If my people, will, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's what the church needs to awaken. The church needs to run back to God. There's cracks in the wall. Psalms 32 says, I will guide thee with mine eye. If you think about it, the Lord saying, I'm, I'm going to guide you with my eye. In other words, our eyes receive light. God's eye gives light. And uh, that's why he says here, his eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. Y'all see that? His eyelids test, that means his eye is giving light. Well, when he blinks or closes his eyelid, it tests us because we can't see the light like we once did. And that's what's happening in America. God's blinking. God, God, God's closing his eyes. You can't see the light in America right now. And uh, why is that? Because he's testing this country. He's testing the church. He's wanting to see where you're putting your faith, where you're putting your trust. He's testing us with his eyelid. He'll open his eye again. The light will shine again. But I can't promise you that America is going to continue to grow and prosper financially. We are so broke financially. We're in debt so bad. And they just print out another couple trillion dollars, you know. Let's just print. You, if you ever think about how much a trillion dollars is, and we're like 20 trillion in debt, or so, maybe it's more than that now, it's an unpayable debt. So for our, our kids and our grandkids, I'm not telling you to stress out about it this year, but coming down the road, there's a day of reckoning coming in America. And we'll be a broke country one day. We'll be a weak country one day. Because we have to be in order for the one world government to ever take over, for a one world leader to take over. You can't have a big, strong America. Right now, Americas wouldn't allow that. But one day, we'll look to a world, one world leader and accept that. So I'm telling you all this to let you know God is on the throne. He's in his holy temple. He's a sovereign Lord. He's allowed everything to happen that's happened. He's not stressed out. You shouldn't be either. He's not worried about it. <laughs> you think God the Father and God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are sitting around a conference table all stressed out, worried, saying, what are we going to do? No, they're not worried about it. So you just relax. Just relax. Enjoy your new president. Enjoy the new government. Enjoy the new high taxes you're going to be paying. Enjoy this. Just enjoy it. All right, that's a sidebar. That's not my sermon, but I just wanted to. This is what the Bible tells you to do. I pulled two verses for you to let you know. You guys that are suffering from anxiety, it says, be anxious for nothing. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. Look at this. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. What will happen if you do it that way? The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And First Peter says it this way. He says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. So instead of telling God about your anxieties, tell your anxieties about God. We'll, we'll pray and pour out all these, all these anxieties, and when you finish praying, you're not feeling any better. 
Well, you need to tell your anxieties about God. You need to quote the Word of God. You need to speak the Word of God. You need to stand on the Word of God. Cast all your care upon Him. He cares for you. He'll take every bit of that junk. If you'll bring, bring it to an altar and he'll just bend your knee, bend your will and say, Lord, I'm going to give you all my worries, financial worries, my worries about my country. I worry about my grandkids, my kids. I worry about my church. I worry. I'm, now, we are so full of worry and anxiety. That's not even of God. That's the devil work, working all that in your life. You can have a peaceful mind, a happy mind, a joyful mind, a quiet mind, a restful mind if you'll just give it all to him. Cast all your care upon him for he cares for you. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah. Amen. All right. We're going to talk about the blueprint, the building, the foundation. Jesus is our foundation. For every Christian, Jesus Christ is the foundation of our life. Let's look at this in 1 Corinthians 3. For we are God's fellow workers, you're God's field, you are God's building. He uses the metaphor of a building many times in scriptures. To the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation and another man builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the foundation to the believer. And our personal relationship with him is really our foundation. If you don't have a relationship with him, then he's not your foundation. You can know about him in your head. You may have heard about him. You may have read about him. You may have heard other people talk about him. But if you don't have that personal relationship with him, you really have no foundation. You're, you're standing on sinking sand. You're standing on shifting sands, t temporal things that will, that will wash away when you need to be building your foundation on the rock, which is Christ himself. The Bible talks about us being built on him. Colossians 2, 6, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots go down into him. Let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you overflow with thankfulness. Jude 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus unto eternal life. So you build your life on Christ you, as you put your trust in him and his word. Jesus is our foundation, but we get built up on that foundation by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. This is, you want to grow strong in your faith, you need to hear the word of God. You need to hear sermons, not just one sermon a Sunday. That won't do you a whole lot of good. That'll do you a little bit of good. But you need a discipline in your life where you read your Bible every day of your life. You can listen to other sermons. You can read books. There's so much information out there. If you carry a smartphone around, well, you got a Bible right there in your pocket. So you can read the word of God. It will build you up in your faith. We all need to be built up. No matter, even if you're a mature Christian, you can still get discouraged real easy. Just turn news on for about 30 minutes. It'll discourage you, I promise. You need to turn it off and get into the Word of God and let it build up your faith. Build you up. More verses on that. Ephesians 2.21. In whom the whole building being fit together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. 1 Peter 2.4, coming to him 
as a, to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house. So he's given us the analogy that we're even a stone in the wall. We're part of the house of God, the temple of God. Another metaphor is that we are the temple of God. Acts 20, so now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the world of his, word of his grace, which is able to build you up. The word of his grace, the word of God will build you up in your faith. You say, well, I don't really need to be built up. You know, that's why every time a storm comes in your life, you get knocked down. And why are you knocked down? Because you weren't built up. You weren't, or either you're not on a firm foundation. Your personal relationship with Jesus is your foundation. My question to you today is how strong is that foundation? Is it deep? Is it full of rebar and concrete? Is it a foundation that can't crack? Or do you really have a personal relationship with him or do you just know about him? The word of God is what builds you up. If you go to Matthew 7, if you want to look on in your Bible today, this is really the, the main focus of the teaching is being built on a rock. It's one of my favorite uh, analogies in the Bible or parables in the Bible, you might could call it. It talks about a wise man and a foolish man and it contrasts their lives. A wise man does one thing and a foolish man does the total opposite thing. And some people have the wisdom of God to know how to build properly, and other people are fools, and they never do get their foundation laid right. So let's look at this together. Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, whoever hears these saying of mine and does them, and let me just stop. I don't want you to don't fly over that. Whoever hears the word of Jesus and does it, it's not enough just to hear the word. You've got to hear it and apply it in your life. You've got to do it. So whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall, for it was founded upon a rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them he will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. So who, what are you going to be the, like the wise man or the foolish man? The wise man built his house on a rock and the storm came and he was able to stand firm. The foolish man built his house on the sand and the same storm came and great was the fall of his house. Let me tell you something, believer, the storm's going to come. As much as I know that there will be another natural storm, if the Lord tarries and we continue to live, there will be more storms in our life naturally. Well, you're going to have spiritual storms too. I don't care how good you've been living, how squeaky clean your life is, uh, how much you please the Lord, don't please the Lord, you're going to have, the storm's going to come. The question is whether or not it's going to knock you down or not. Some storms just knock people down so low. I know I'm, I've been a pastor for a long time. You have to pick people up when they get knocked down. And But, beloved, you don't have to get knocked down every time the storm comes. You can ride out the storm if your house is built on a rock. Now, to understand this parable a little greater, you go to Luke 6, and Jesus said it a little bit different. In Luke 6, verse 46, he said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? and not do the things which I say. In other words, you may call Jesus your Lord, but if you don't obey him, he's not your Lord. 
He's not your master. He may be your savior. You may know him as a savior, but you only know him as a Lord when he's your master, your owner, your boss, your governor, your king. He's the Lord of lords. He's the king of kings. Do you obey him? Do you obey his words? Do you live the word of God, not just hear the word of God? So Jesus is saying, why do you call me Lord if you don't do what I ask you to do? He says, whoever comes to me and hears my saying and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And see the difference what he's saying in Luke. You've got to dig deep to get down to the rock in order to lay your foundation. So you've got to get rid yourself of all this loose dirt, all this sandy material. It's in the way. that The rock's down there. You can get a relationship with Jesus so strong that every storm that blows, it'll never knock you over again. You'll stand strong. But only if you get rid of the stuff that's between you and the rock. And the first thing I was thinking of when I was praying about this, the biggest thing in my life that stood between me and a personal relationship with Jesus has been man-made religious traditions. Man-made religious traditions that kept me from knowing the Lord like I know him today. And you know, you're pretty innocent because you're born into different churches and different denominations and you, you go to your, your journey takes you different paths and you learn all these things and, and if you're not a really good student of the word, you'll let man, man add to the word or twist the word or or subtract from the word. And beloved, you got that's sandy stuff. You got to get rid of all this stuff. If you think religion's gonna is your answer, you're wrong. When I speak of religion, I'm speaking of rituals and regulations and rules is what I'm speaking of there. But but you need to get rid of all the all the junk that's not of God. The things you say, the things you do, the, the, your, your view of God may be wrong because of religion. Your view of yourself may be wrong because of religion. Uh, we sang a song this morning. How'd it go? I am who you say I am. That's, that's what it is. I am who you say I am. I'm not who the devil says I am. I'm not who my friends on the schoolyard say I am. I am who God says I am. I'm a child of God. I'm a son of the king. You got to see yourself the way God sees you in order to have this awesome relationship with Jesus. So you can have this awesome personal relationship if you'll get rid of the sand. So it could be religious traditions. It could be stuff like unbelief. It could be rebellion. It could be pride. There's hundreds of components to this. It could be what is the sand? Anything separating you and this fantastic intimate personal relationship with Jesus. I'm telling you, you can have a walk with the creator of the universe, a walk with him, a talk with him, a relationship with him, this life of obedience to him, surrender to his will, give you life and not only life, but the abundant life in him. Beloved, you can have it, but you got to dig deep. The Bible says dig deep to get to the rock. Dig deep, get rid of the rebellion, get rid of the unbelief, get rid of the pride, get rid of anything that's separating you from him. Can I get an amen on that? Need to know if y'all are tracking with me or not. Are we all in the same lane here? Huh? All right. I want to talk to you just a minute about returns DNA. 
what the foundation of return is made of. Well, so I, what, how I came up with this, I just reflected for a while. I just reflected on our first formative years. And one thing we had for sure was a love for the Word of God. You know, that's part of who return is. What makes return the church that it is today is we have a love and a respect for the Word of God. Second, we return to what really matters. That's in our DNA. That's why we named the church return. That means we're returning from, from Babylon to Mount Zion. Babylon means confusion. And when you get when you when your life's just religious, beloved, you're confused. We're returning from this religious life to this life of a personal relationship with Jesus, because that's the only thing that really matters. When you stand before God, you draw your last breath on earth, it won't take but just a moment. And your spirit and soul is going to be standing before him. And you'll, you'll give an account of your life. And beloved, you'll find out that day, right there, it's going to come into focus that the only thing that mattered was my personal relationship with Jesus. That's what Returns DNA is made about. We talk about it all the time. Third thing is generosity. Why do we have such a beautiful facility? Because there's real generous people here at Return. It's part of who we are. I wrote the Love Church. This is funny because um, we, were, we were known for that. People would walk in, they'd say, I feel so much love. And after service, this is before we were wearing masks, all right? Before you wear masks, <laughs> we, everybody would get a hug and everybody would feel loved. And after church, they'd hang out and talk hug each other and love on each other. And, and some of the people that were persecuting us, they put it out there that we are the love church. They were saying that in a negative connotation. But as soon as I heard that, I said, you know, I'll wear that badge proudly there. That's what we want to be. We're the love church. <laughs> they thought they were criticizing me. I'm telling you, that's, that's what I want to be called right there. And then we're a church that really has focused on what our purpose is. We've intentionally uh, thought about our purpose. We've written a purpose statement. I'm about to read to you. Y'all are very familiar with it. And then we have a love for the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's, not, there's so many other gospels out there in the world. We have a love for the one true gospel. That's really what Returns DNA is. If you ever want to read our statement of purpose, you can go online. It's on our webpage. You can ask the church secretary, we can give you a handout, which is our statement of beliefs, our articles of faith has this statement on there. It's something we could all even uh, memorize. Here's what it says, it's return statement of purpose. In other words, what is the purpose of return church? This return church is a family of diverse individuals. You stop right there, we're all creeds, all kinds, all colors, all ranks, all we're rich, we're poor, we're everything in the middle. We're Democrat, Republican, we're everything in the middle. We're, we're just a diverse group. And I want it to always be a diverse group because we're going to respect every human being the same as they walk in here, no matter if they're, amen. The millionaire or the homeless man, they're the same in the eyes of God. They've got an eternal soul that's worth more than all the money piled up in the world. One soul. The Bible says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So one soul is worth more than all the wealth in the world. So it doesn't matter if you know where you come from, what your background is. We're a diverse family, comma, 
And it says returning to what matters. What, what matters? What I just said, intimate love relationship with Jesus Christ. And our purpose is to glorify Jesus in all that we do. So in other words, every time we do something, we're not trying to glorify man. Nothing's built around to glorify me, Pastor Chad, Pastor Rachel, no, no ministry leader, no work. We don't want any glory for man here. We want to glorify Jesus in everything we do. And there's six basic primary components or, or purposes. Brother Chad, in a fantastic sermon just last week or the week before, brought out 13 distinctions of the church found in the book of Acts. These would probably be the, out of the 13, the six primaries is what I would call them. The main things are our purposes. Number one is worship. And we just had a worship service, and that's part of worship. You know, prayer meetings worship, right? You're worshiping right now as you focus and hear the word of God. There's many ways to worship. But this is one of the main reasons we are a church is that we'll assemble together. The Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. We come together to worship. We come to, we wor we're a worshiping people. We're a worshiping church. It's not, it's not just the 45 minutes before the preaching we endure. It's what we do. It's what we're made to do. It's what we love. We could, we could worship for two hours. If I thought I could keep you here that long, I'd just keep going. Just, just keep going. I love it. Love to worship. I got a playlist on my phone I like to turn on every morning because I start my morning off with worship. And as soon as I'm awake good enough, I'll turn that off and study my Bible and pray. But I start off with worship. I love to worship. Number two, evangelism. We're an evangelistic church. Every time we have a sermon here, there's, a, there's a, an awareness that someone might be lost. And if you're lost, we want you to find Jesus. And everything we do in our week, as we go out and invite people to church, we invite the lost to church because we're evangelistic. We want to see people come to know Jesus. I'm believing there's going to be hundreds, hundreds and thousands of people over the course of time. If the Lord tarries and, and if the rapture's not you know, right around the corner, I think we're going to see that at Return Church. You're going to see a lot of people come to know the Lord that don't know him because why one of our purposes is evangelism. Number three, we're discipleship. That's Brother Chad's strength. He's a disciple maker is what he is. I don't know if y'all picked up on that yet, but that's what he is. He's a disciple maker. Jesus said, go and make disciples. And that's what his calling is, what his mantle is. He has an anointing. And that means that's going to build us up where we won't just be calling Jesus Savior, but we'll be calling him Lord. He'll be our Lord. We're not only going to hear his words, but we're going to do it in our life. He's going to teach us more about how to be disciples where we follow Jesus and do the things that he tells us to do. Discipleship's important. Every time, every sermon can't be just about how the lost to be saved because we've got a whole building full of saved people here and we want to build you up. Today's about building you up. Most of the sermons preached here are about building you up so you can become disciples. And then number four is ministry. And we know everybody needs a ministry. Brother Chad's talked that. It's not all, all his responsibility. Yes, we hired a pastor, and he's got a lot of responsibility, but he can't do everything at this church. He wants to empower you and enable you and teach you how to minister. We need everybody to be a minister. Everybody should have a job at Return Church. Do something to help out. We need help with the children. We need help with the, with the sound and the, and the audio. We need help 
the worship team. We need help with greeters. We need help with ushers and deacons. There's so many places we need help. So if you just sit there and all you do is come and enjoy and leave every week and come back every Sunday and enjoy, one day you're going to need to step up and say, you know, I, I want a job too. Let me help out also. And you can come to Brother Chad. I'm sure he can put you to work. So everybody needs a ministry here at Return Church. And I always say, you know, even if you don't have a job at Return, you can still minister to somebody every day. There's somebody in your life that you know, maybe all they need is a phone call. Sometimes a phone call can, can build somebody up. Somebody's knocked down. All it takes is a few minutes and a few words, and they can go from being knocked down to standing them back up again. Sometimes people just need a bag of groceries. Some, there's so many ways you can minister to people if you'll just think about them and focus on them. When you wake up and you got your relationship going with Jesus and ask him before you just rush off on your day, is there something I can do for somebody today? We all need to be in the ministry. Then there's fellowship. There's a per, one of the purposes of the church is fellowship. Fellowship is where we get together and we become friends, where we learn to know each other. You're not meant to live this Christian life alone. It's not a solitary walk. It's a walk of a community, and you're, you're meant to live it. Of course, you have to make your own decisions. That's between you and the Lord. You can't choose for me, and I can't choose for you. And thank goodness, I don't want you crawling inside my heart and making any choices for me, getting me messed up. Man, but I can't choose for you either, because if I could choose for you, I would, some of y'all. But uh, fellowship is important. And because of COVID, we haven't been fellowshipping like we used to fellowship. And COVID's going to be gone one day soon, I'm praying and hoping. There's vaccines out there, and people are going to take the vaccine, and the virus is going to go away, and we're going to take our mask off one day and give each other a hug again. I promise you, one day that's coming. Now, I just heard this week there's some new variants to the virus, and they're saying the vaccine won't fix those. Well, I'm, a, I'm not a believer of that. I think that's fake news, all right? I'm not buying into that one there. I'm, I still got my hope that this is going to be gone soon. But don't worry about COVID. You know what COVID is? It's God's eyelid testing the sons of men. It's just him blinking again. He just, you know, all right, go through that. Let's see what happens to the church when they go through a pandemic. Well, I know it's happened to me. It's made me more dependent upon the Lord. Yeah, it may not be as fun or it may be inconvenient or we may have spent a lot of time isolated when we're usually around people. We don't have the fellowship that we once had, but that's all right. We'll get it back. It's, it's, it's a purpose of the church. It's very important. We are a church that aims to fellowship, so, so remember that. And then the sixth thing is helping the vulnerable. And, beloved, there's widows in the world. There's orphans in the world. There's homeless people in the world. There's people that are very vulnerable to society that don't, don't have it as good as we do, and it's our job as a church to help them. I believe if every church helped 10 homeless people, I think homelessness would be eradicated. It would go away. If every church in this community, every church in, in the Louisville, greater Louisville area would help 10 homeless people, it would all be solved. But for some reason, they say, oh, that's someone else's responsibility. No, it's a church. It's not the government's responsibility to take care of the poor. And I know this new government is going to try to do that, and they're going to spend billions and trillions to do that. But it's really the church's responsibility to take care of the poor. That's what I see in the Word of God. 
So that's our six purposes. Can I get an amen on that? All right. Do we know who we are? And one of our DNAs was the love for the gospel. So I'm just going to go over a couple of scriptures with you real quick about the gospel, how important it is that it returns. The gospel is the greatest news in the history of the world. Remember, the gospel is news where religion is advice. Two different things there. Religion is going to advise you how to live your life and how to, how to climb the ladder to the top where you can have a oneness with God. The gospel is just news. It's something that's already happened. It's the greatest news in the history of the world. I can't give you better news than the gospel. If, if I wish the front page of today's Courier Journal would, would say a, a story that Jesus Christ has come to the earth. The greatest news ever in the history of the world, that the Son of God has become the Son of Man, that he lived a perfect life for 33 and a half years, that he, he lived, absolutely kept the law, lived perfectly without stain, without spot. He only did what his father told him to do. He had not one wrong thought, not one wrong deed, not one wrong action. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was perfect. And then he went to a cross and died in my your place that he could take the sins of mankind upon himself. He became sin. He who knew no sin became sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ, in him. The gospel, that he died on a cross and three days later he rose from the dead that he ascended upon high, that now we have a hope that if we'll put our trust and faith in him, beloved, you don't have to go to hell because, not because you're religious, but because you're putting your faith in what Jesus has already done. He did it 2,000 years ago. That's news. That's not advice. It's just believing in what really happened. So it's not Jesus plus anything. It's simply putting our faith in him 100% the gospel is just Jesus religion is Jesus plus something plus whatever you can do to win favor or earn reward with God religious people think God owes them blessing because of the good clean moral lifestyles that they live they think God's indebted to them because they've been living so good that God ought to be doing them good and when something goes wrong in their life they get mad at God because they say this isn't fair I've been I've given my life to you. I'm doing great. Now look what's happened. It's not fair. Well, you got a wrong understanding there. Let me tell you something. God doesn't owe you anything. You know, if we got what we deserved, we'd get smashed. Like an elephant stepping on an ant. That's what we deserve. Grace gives us that which we don't deserve. Grace is unmerited, unearned, undeserved, pure favor of God. We don't deserve God's grace. He gives it to you anyway because you believe in the gospel, because you're putting your trust in Jesus Christ himself. You get grace, what you don't deserve. And mercy holds back what we do deserve. Grace gives us that which we don't deserve. Amen? Amen. There's other gospels in the world. I just say this because you can turn on the Christian radio, and if you're not careful, you'll be listening to a false teacher. You need to be careful. The Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses, they, they say you earn salvation and reward by good works and human effort. Something called a prosperity gospel out there. That means live good and God will bless you financially. There's churches all across America with all different labels on them that says Jesus plus good works or rule keeping equals salvation. 
That's not the gospel. The gospel is faith in Jesus equals salvation, which produces good works. Do you see the difference there? It's Jesus. It's just, he, he's all I need. Now that's going to bear fruit of the Spirit in my life, and good works are going to come out of my life because I've got this amazing relationship with Jesus. But other churches teach Jesus, then plus you got to live right and do right and keep all these rules, and if you do all of that, you won't go to hell. That's not the gospel. That's, that's religion in its worst form, and it comes in so many different names or denominations and and it's within, it's permeated different denominations depending on who the pastor of that church is. So you have to be careful. Why, why do I say this? Look what Paul said in Galatians. I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. So Paul had this problem in the early church there in Galatia. They were listening to another gospel. Other people were coming along saying, it's Jesus plus circumcision. It's Jesus plus the Mosaic law. It's Jesus plus all these things you have to do. And Paul said, wait a minute. That's not at all what it is. You, you got to believe it the way I said it. Let him be accursed. Even if an angel tells you that, let him be accursed. It's wrong. Beloved, it's just Jesus. That's why we're returning to what matters. It's just Jesus. It's a relationship with him. I can't stress that enough. I, I'm going to skip that. I'm going to read you something from the message. Now, I am not... Uh, fan of the Bible called the message because doctrinally it is just not pure enough it's, it's, it's a paraphrase translation but man he said this in Galatians 2 so well when it comes to this thing of religion or a different gospel and uh, so I'm going to read it to you so like what I'm saying is the message is okay as long as you're safe with it if you read a scripture in your Bible and don't understand it and want to read it out of the message and you'll get a real paraphrased version of it. I'm just saying don't throw away your other Bibles and only read the message because I don't think you'll get your doctrine uh, lined up properly. But look what this says in the message, Galatians 2, 19 through 21. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a law man so I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It's no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I'm no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but is lived by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am not going to go back on that. It is, not, is it not clear to you that to go back to that old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? I refuse to do that, to repudiate God's grace, if a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, 
then Christ died unnecessarily. Isn't that good? Give the Lord a hand clap for that. I'm trying to tell you the message. You don't need that for your doctrine, but that's going to make every one of y'all go buy a copy of the Message Bible now. I know it is. That's good. That's good stuff. See, religion is full of rules, rituals, and regulations. It's never feeling good enough. It's never being able to live up to the standard. And it's always trying harder to live better. And I heard an analogy the other day. It was great. It's like a pole vaulter. Now, the world record for pole vaulting, and pole vaulting is what they do in track and field. They got this long pole, and they run fast, and they plant the pole in the ground, and the pole vaults them over a bar. And the world record is 20 feet and two and a half inches. That means there's been hundreds and thousands of pole vaulters through the years, and the highest anyone's ever done this in the history of the world is 20 feet, two and a half inches. Well, it'd be like setting the bar at 30 feet, and all of us had to try it every day. Every day we had to try to pole vault 30 feet, which was humanly impossible, and we would fall down every day. You, you'd, you'd try to vault over the standard, and you'd fall down on the ground. You'd try to meet the mark, you know, measure up, try, try to be impress all your friends so you can show them that you're living the life that your religion teaches, but you can't ever clear the bar. And the deal is, you don't have to because when Jesus lived that perfect life, he cleared it for you. He's already gone over the 30 feet, and he says, you don't have to clear the bar. Just put your trust in me. I've already done it for you. Here, I got a badge proven. I, I gave the clear the 30 feet. I'm going to give you one. It's just grace. It doesn't cost you anything. Salvation is free. I'm going to give it to you. You don't have to clear the bar. You don't have to meet the standard. Jesus met the standard for you. You don't have to keep trying and failing and trying and failing and trying and failing. Beloved one, Jesus has already done it for you. He lived a perfect life. He kept the law. He fulfilled the law. And now Christ lives inside of me. No longer do I have to try to live that life. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. I'm, Christ lives inside of me. He kept the law. I don't have to do it. He does it. He does it every day. He lives his life through me that I could never live. Amen. I'm tired. I don't have much more. America's foundation's cracked. The other problem is many Christians have cracked foundations. An abusive childhood could have caused your foundation in, in your world to be cracked. Exposure to spiritually abusive religion could, could create cracks in your foundation because you're seeing God wrong or you're seeing yourself wrong. You've got you to see God the way he really is and you need to see yourself the way God sees you. It also, some of these bad religions create these lies, and you believe the lies about God and about yourself, and that's why maybe you're not even aware that you believe a lie, but that's what the whole problem is. There's, there's cracks in your foundation. And maybe it became because you just laid such a shallow or cheap foundation in formative years. And again, there's certain denominations that will just teach you not to go deep. You just have a real, real cheap, shallow foundation. So... When you build your house, the cracks come up in the wall. 
and Brother Chad's been teaching about Nehemiah. Remember, the walls of Jerusalem were down. The, the, the foundation of the walls were crumbled. The, the gates were burned. And Nehemiah went back and rebuilt the walls. And it's a powerful story. And we've been in it here for a few weeks thinking about it. And see, God wants some of you to rebuild your life, to rebuild your foundation, just like Nehemiah. And Isaiah 61 says, they shall rebuild the old ruins. See, the devil comes to do everything he can to tear your building down. It's like the big bad wolf and the three pigs. One pig had made his house of, I'm going back about 60 years here, I'm not quite sure, straw, straw house. And the next one built his house on sticks, and the next one built his house with bricks. So the big bad wolf comes and says, I'm going to huff and a puff and I'm going to blow you. See, I, I can remember. That's some good memory right there. <laughs> huff and puff and blow your house down. So he blew the straw house down and he blew the stick house down. But when he got to the brick house, the big bad wolf couldn't, couldn't blow it down. Beloved, the, the big bad wolf, the devil, has, has tried to tear our lives apart. Just think of all the things you've gone through in your life, the storms that have come where the enemy's tried to, to tear you apart. And, and if you have been torn apart and if there's cracks in your foundation, then there's hope for you today because Isaiah 61 says, they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. And then in Isaiah 58, 12, it says, from those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundation of many generations, and you shall be called the repair of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. There's hope. Jesus came to, to rebuild people's lives. And even if yours is a complete mess today, don't despair, because that's why Jesus came. That's what he's here to do, is to help you get established on a new firm foundation where you can build your life on the rock. And in closing, I just want to just close with this one thought for you. If, if you do have a personal relationship with Jesus, he intended for you to have three experiences with his grace when you first get started because the, the, the foundational part of our relationship with him is built upon three experiences. One, with the precious blood of Jesus, which forgives us of our sins. When we repent of our sins, confess our sins, the blood of Jesus comes and washes them all away. The second thing is the fire of the Holy Spirit. God wants you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You might be saved today. Maybe you've been washed in the blood. You may have been saved for years. But there's another experience. You don't have to have this experience to go to heaven. But you need this experience to be empowered here on the earth. God wants to baptize you with his fire, with his spirit. And then he wants to baptize you with water. You would need to be water baptized in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this, the courtyard in the tabernacle, which is a picture, a type, a shadow of Jesus Christ. It had these three things in it. It had blood, fire, and water. The brazen altar, if y'all remember the courtyard, I got a picture of it here, of the tabernacle. Well, the courtyards, that first part, they walk, when you walk into the fence, through the fence, there's this big brazen altar there and a brazen labor. And that's what, where the priests, they would kill the lambs there. They would shed blood there. And then the fire from heaven would fall and consume the offering. 
So God not only wants you to be washed in the blood of Jesus, he wants you to be full of the Holy Spirit. He wants the fire to fall in your life. He wants to baptize you and immerse you. You say, well, how will I know when I got it? Now, you're going to know it. You, I promise you you'll know it. You, you'll have so much love in your heart that you've never had that kind of love before. This is a real experience, and it's promised to every believer, and it's a gift from God. It's God's grace. It's not, you don't have to work to do it. Before I received it, I fasted five days. I wanted it so bad. I was praying that God would give it to me. Well, I found out later I didn't have to fast for it. It's a gift. It was a free gift. I just had to learn how to receive it. And then there was the labor in the courtyard, and it was full of water. And that's where the priest washed his hands and his feet. And that's a picture of water baptism. When Peter preached his great sermon on the day of Pentecost, he quoted these words here. Acts 2.38, it says, Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you read that in the New Living Translation, it makes a little more sense. Peter replied, each one of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what I'm encouraging you to do today, I want you to think, do you really have a good, strong foundation? Is your personal relationship with Jesus as strong as it can be? Well, if you've never received the fire of the Holy Spirit, never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I encourage you to do so because this is a foundational experience and it will help you. It will empower you, give you the power over sin. It will empower you to be a bold witness for Christ. There's all kind of things the Holy Spirit will do for you in your life if you'll just take him in. And what you're doing is just receiving. I mean, he's, he's already, Christ is in your heart and the Holy Spirit is with you today if you're a Christian. But what this is going to do is immerse you in it, baptize you in it, fill you in it. It's going to fill you with him. My experience came sleeping one night. He woke me up at midnight, and the Holy Spirit was in the room as a bright light, and it came into my face. I, I remember I was laying in bed, and I felt this hot oil from the crown of my head flowed all the way through the soles of my feet. I just felt this hot oil. I was It was the greatest feeling I've ever had in my life. I was just to feel the love of God so great. I woke up the next morning, and man, I just loved everybody. I couldn't, I, I had all kind of employees I worked with I didn't even like, and I walked in there, and I just, I just loved them all, man. There was this one lady who was my secretary. She's gone on to be with the Lord, but she was a smoking, cussing, tough person. And uh, man, I remember I just had such a love for her. I went and got her a cup of coffee, asked her what I could do for her for the day, you know. I mean, I was just, I loved everybody. The Holy Spirit, when you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, you'll have the love of God like you've never experienced it before. And then the third thing you ask them to do here is get water baptized in Jesus' name. So a lot of people have never been baptized in the name of Jesus, have never been water baptized in Jesus' name. There's just one thing in Acts, and this is the last slide. I'm closing with this, but this is the example. These foundational experiences. Look what happened. He said, it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So he found believers. These were believers, not only believers, they were disciples. And they said to him, we've not so much heard about whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, well, then what were you baptized? And they said, unto John's baptism. 
And Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. Look at this. These believers now said, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's water baptized. They had never heard of water baptism in Jesus' name. So these believers went and got baptized in Jesus' name. And then when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So there's the blood, the fire, and the water. They were already believers, so they were already washed in the blood. Paul came and taught them, gave them greater instruction, greater understanding, so they realized now they needed to be water baptized, and they needed the fire of the Holy Spirit to come in their life. So if you want a really good foundation, if you want a, a foundation where your personal relationship with Jesus is built on a rock, standing on a rock, so when the storm comes in life, you won't fall over. Beloved, this is how you do it. It's blood, fire, and water. Get your foundational experiences correct with God. Get washed in the blood of the Lamb, be full of the Holy Spirit, and get water baptized in Jesus' name. Can I get an amen on that? Do y'all hear what I'm saying? Why don't we stand up to our feet then? Let's just pray for a minute. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we just love you and we thank you for your word today. And Lord, if there's anyone within the sound of my voice that doesn't know you, I just pray, Lord, that you would convict their heart, that you would let them know how much you love them, and that they could be saved. If there's anyone here that has never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I just, again, that you would convict their heart and let them understand how much you want to give this to them and what a beautiful gift it is and how wonderful it would be in their life. Lord, convict them, Holy Spirit, where they'll start asking you for this. And if there's anyone here that's never been water baptized in your precious name, death and life, Lord, I just pray that, again, the Holy Spirit would convict and that you can move on these people so that they would be willing to get their foundation laid properly. Jesus, you are our foundation, and we stand on you today. All my hopes in you, all my trust is in you. It's not in the American government. It's not in anything of man's economy. It's not in any people. It's in you. And I thank you for this relationship. I thank you for giving me peace of mind. Even when the whole world's chaotic, you give me this peace of mind because I've got this firm stance down on the rock, the rock of ages. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. So I thank you for the rock of ages today. Lord, bless your people. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. Amen.